Exodus 18, let's read verses 1 through 5. It says, And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zephora, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer. For he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain. Now he had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. So again, in-laws, right? It's one of the most interesting relationships and dynamics that there are in family and in life, right? You've developed this bond with someone for 18 years, 25 years, 30 years maybe, maybe older, right? And you've cleaned them, you know everything about them. And all of a sudden they fall in love with a stranger that you don't know anything about, right? And now you have to manage this new relationship with the stranger that your son or daughter is just getting to know. And now you're having to get to know them, right? And sometimes it's a great relationship, right? You've adopted another son or daughter into the family. Other times, it's not so great, right? You stole my little girl, right? You've taken my little man, right? Whatever it is. And here we see just some of the dynamics, some of the wise practices we should imply within our own relationship. So first and foremost, the fame of what God had done for Israel in freeing them from Egypt, it crossed all over the ancient world. Even Moses' father-in-law was hearing it out in the desert. If you remember, out in the desert where they were taking care of sheep, out in the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere, even word got to him there about the great wonders that the Lord had done for the children of Israel, defeating Egypt, and word got back to him. Verse 2 through 5 remind us that as Moses was being called by the Lord after he spoke to the burning bush, and as he was on his way to go back to Egypt, there's a verse that seems like it's totally out of nowhere where it says the Lord was about to strike them down and kill them. You say, what? Where did this come from? We don't know if that's speaking of Moses and Zephor's two sons or if this is speaking of Moses. And what we see is that there was some friction within the marriage of Moses and Zephor, right? Unlike any of the marriages here. But sometimes there's friction in marriages, And the Lord, as he was calling Moses, he knew that he had to circumcise his sons. It seems like Zephorah thought that wasn't right, that wasn't good. And now right as they're about to go in and God is calling Moses to more and more, this one important action of consecration, the difference between the Israelites and the people of God and the rest of the world, God was continuing to call Moses and Zephorah to this She circumcises the sons in their older age, poor guys, right? And then afterward, she grabs the foreskins, throws them at him, and says, right, you're a husband of blood. And seems like just a great interaction between husband and wife, right? But again, the Bible shows us the real relationships here. And at that point, Moses makes a decision to leave Zephora and his sons with 
his father-in-law, Jethro, and now Moses goes to do the great work that God has called him to do. So the last time Moses and Zephorah had an interaction wasn't so great, right? I don't know if you ever had a fight with someone and you don't see them for a few days or a few weeks. Hopefully you husbands and wives, right before you leave on a trip, you don't get into a big fight because the next time you see each other, got to rehash things out in a sense. But in the midst of all this Jethro now, he's going to come back. He's going to reunite his daughter, his grandsons with Moses, their father. Uh, Verse 6, this is the wisdom here. He says, now he had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Ladies, I don't know if you know this, and maybe I'm generalizing this too much. Most men don't like surprises, right? Most men don't like surprises unless it's a very intimate surprise, right? Between husband and wife. That's basically the only surprise that men enjoy, right? So Moses' father-in-law Jethro, he exercises wisdom in letting him know ahead of time, hey, I'm coming to go and visit you, right? I don't know many men that just love the whole family coming over the house and not letting him know anything, right? He's at home after a long day of work. He's in his more comfortable clothes. And the whole in-laws, right, they all come barging through the door. I don't know how many men enjoy that. And yes, right, this is so much, it's so awesome, right? And here Jethro, he tells him ahead of time, right, even before cell phones, before doorbells, before anything, Moses' father-in-law lets him know, hey, I'm coming to you and I'm coming to visit you. So again, just some wisdom there for in-laws, for son-in-laws, daughter-in-laws, just some wisdom there. Verse 7, so Moses, he goes out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other about their well-being and they went into the tent. Again, we see Moses, the heart of humility and family that he had, that he still looked at Jethro, his father-in-law, as a man above him, a man that was due honor, a man that was due respect. Even though the Lord, using Moses, he had him rip the Red Sea in two. He had him defeat the armies of Egypt. He had him hit a rock and water come out, manna rain down from heaven. And yet we see this really didn't get to Moses' head. He was still a man under authority. And we're going to continue to see that there. We need to be so careful that when God uses us, it doesn't get to our heads. And then all of a sudden, we think we're like super special. We're the golden child, right? Because God has used us in a mighty way. We need to be so careful with that. Moses, incredible man of God, leading two million people, and yet he still gives reverence to his father-in-law. Bowed down and kissed him. That would be, again, the culture in this time period. Think of, right, in Middle East, they kiss each other on cheek to cheek and they greet each other. Big hugs, right? Some Hispanic families are like that too. If you're not from Miami and you come in, everybody starts kissing you and you're like, what is going on, right? And same sort of idea here in this Eastern culture. They begin to speak with one another, asking about their well-being. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them on the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. Again, it's interesting. We don't see Moses' greeting with Zephora, right? We see Moses' greeting with his father-in-law, but we don't know if they need to iron things out later on or or what went on, but he loved his father-in-law apparently, right? 
And now here he sits down, and what's the first thing that he speaks with his dad about? All that the Lord had done. Guys, it's important for us to speak with people, even non-believers, and let them know all the things that God has done for you. Right? When we get excited about something, right, the Super Bowl's coming up, and people are getting excited about it. I'm at the post office, and everybody's talking about it. Strangers, right? We should be excited about the things that God has done for us. He's freed us from eternal hell, right? That's, that's pretty exciting. That's pretty awesome, right? We should be talking about this with non-believers and believers, strangers and family members, even though it seems as if it's most difficult to talk about the things of God with our own family. And notice how he doesn't sugarcoat it. He talks about the greatness, right? How the Lord freed them from Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And then he also talks to him about all the hardship that had come upon them on the way. And then how the Lord had delivered them. Oftentimes I've found that some believers are just unwilling to talk about their flaws. Even though we all know that they're there, right? Someone talks about their testimonies like, man, I was just a great person. And then I got saved and I became even better, right? Isn't this awesome, right? And we want to leave out our failures. We want to leave out how we weren't that great. Parents, do your kids know your testimony or do your kids just think that you're perfect and you've always been great and you've always been awesome? Or do they know, hey, mom and dad, we used to live like this. We used to live like the world, right? I was talking to one of my kids. It's so interesting, kids and the way they react. Some of my kids, you discipline them and they just get mad at you. Other kids, you like say one word and they like just melt, right? So I was talking to one of my kids. He was melting after we had a conversation this morning. I said, you got to relax, man. Dad was a way worse kid than you were, right? Don't worry. Dad got in trouble way more times than you did, right? And right away, he seemed to like relax. Like, okay, I'm not that crazy. I'm not that difficult. And it's important for us as parents to reveal our flaws to our children. Because guess what? They probably see them anyways. And it's better if you're honest and open with them about it than trying to pretend and be a hypocrite that you're all great and perfect. And yet they're seeing through your flaws. And now for us in our relationship with God, in our coming to know the Lord, it's important for us to share the hardships. I think social media has been one of the biggest problems of this. Social media, it's like a highlight reel of life. No one shows like their terrible days, their darkest days. Hey, here's a quick Instagram story of me getting in a fight with my wife. I hope none of you post that, right? You shouldn't post that. It's just a highlight reel. And now we can think that this is the way life is supposed to look like. And now we're fearful of revealing our flaws to one another. And we can be watering down the power of our testimony and of the gospel. Because we're unwilling to share our flaws and our mistakes and where we were weak. But God, he came in, he filled the void and he was strong. And now he's able to share with them how the Lord had delivered them. Again, it's difficult to share the good news without having the bad news first, right? When we share the gospel, it's important to share the good news and the bad news. And now depending how the person reacts, depending how the conversation goes, and the Holy Spirit speaks to us, maybe you keep giving more bad news or maybe you keep giving more good news, right? 
But we need both of those things. We need to share the hardships that we've gone through and then also share how the Lord has delivered us through them. And we see as a result of this testimony, Jethro rejoiced for all the good, verse 9, which the Lord, again, doesn't look like Moses takes any of the credit, for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, for in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God. And Aaron, with all the elders of Israel, came to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Again, this is so special. There's one of two things that may have happened here. Either Jethro was a believer, and this just re-emphasized his belief in the Lord, or perhaps as a Midianite, even though that he was a descendant of Abraham, he may have been believing in many gods. And now he realizes, wow, God, the God of Israel, is the one true God above all other gods. And one of the reasons we believe this is because he offers an offering, a burnt offering. And the burnt offering was the offering of consecration. It's as if Jethro, hearing the testimony of Moses and what God had done for the nation of Israel, now he decides, you know what? Your God is the one true God, and now I want to worship him and him alone. It seems like that's what's happening. And again, this should be every time we gather together as believers. There should be sacrifices unto the Lord, praises unto God, and then we should be able to sit down and break bread and eat with one another before the Lord. Again, we don't see any friction between Moses and his father-in-law. They have a great night, great evening. Verse 13 and 14, and so it was. On the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, What is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me, and I judge between one and another, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is not good. Right? It's interesting here. It's, It's sort of easy to get along with someone as long as they love everything that they're telling you, right? So far, their relationships, it's great, it's amazing. Wow, Moses, everything you've done, everything God has done, it's awesome, it's great. Next morning, hey, what are you doing? Hey, that's terrible, you shouldn't do that, right? Right away, there's a true check in our spirit to see if there's a heart of humility or to see if there's a heart of pride. Are we able to take correction? Or anytime we get negative feedback, we melt or we get angry or our pride comes out. We go back and now we sort of see what's going on here. In ancient times, you would have people that would sit at the gate of the city. 
and they would literally sit at the gate of the city. If you've gone to Israel with us, uh, there's one area by Abraham's gate where there's an ancient entrance to a city, and you would have the rulers sit at the gate, and as people would come in, they would sort of talk to them, decide things, should they come in, are they a spy, are they an evil person, good person. So Moses is sort of taking this idea, and now every day, all day long, Sunrise to sunset, Moses is sitting there to take all the discussions, all the problems, all the strife between two million people on a camping trip all together, right? On a 40-year camping trip with two million people. Talk about some problems, right? Some situations, right? I put my tent here. This was the shady spot behind the pillar. And then so-and-so came and they parked their tent right next to mine, right? And all the friction, all that would go on. And this must have been exhausting from morning until evening. Another important thing for us to note is that Moses' father-in-law just came the day before. But who else came the day before? His wife and his sons. And when you have family with you, you cannot minister in the same way as a single person. That's why I encourage single people, hey, serve with all your heart. Leave no regrets And leave no doubts. And as you get older in life and you have less and less responsibilities, leave no regrets. Leave no doubts in the way that you serve the Lord. I tell the young adults all the time, life only gets busier and more hectic, right? Do you remember what life was like five years? Now we look back on five years ago and it's like, oh, life was so much simpler then, right? But if you would have spoken to yourself five years ago, things are crazy right now, right? I'm so busy, it's so insane, and life only gets crazier and crazier and busier and busier. That's why it's important for us to settle in the routine and the standard of attending church, of reading our Bible, of serving, because life is only going to get more hectic and more chaotic. But Moses, he was used to sitting in front of the people all day long. Every argument, every fight, every battle, Moses would be hearing the people. And then verse 15, Moses says to his father, Now, hey, the reason why I do this is because the people come to me to inquire of God. Now, we don't see any form of malice in Moses or even pride. We don't see him saying, they come to me because I'm the oracle of God, right? I'm the one who wields the rod of God. So that's why they come to me, right? We don't see that. And the important thing that Jethro is going to reveal to Moses is that it's more important to teach people the word of God than just to tell people every single situation, hey, this is what you should do. Or, hey, this is what you should do. Or, hey, this is what you should do. It's more important, right? You have that saying, it's better to teach a man to fish and he's able to fish the rest of his life than to give a man a fish. He's going to eat once and go hungry, right? If you're cold, you can give someone firewood and they'll warm themselves up. Or if they chop their own wood, they'll warm themselves up while they chop the wood, and then they'll warm themselves up afterwards when they use it for fire. So we all have the same Bible, right? For the most part, maybe different versions. Maybe you have NASB, New King James, NIV, ESV, right? Many, many versions. We all have access to the same Holy Spirit. Every single one of us can pray. James chapter 1, verse 5. If you're lacking wisdom, pray. Ask God. He wants to give you the Holy Spirit and wisdom liberally. And we also have the same Bible study tools. The tools I used to study, it's on the internet. It's everywhere for anyone to use. You can use them. I don't have special access, special codes, special background internet to be able to study the Bible. So the important thing for us is that each of us can inquire of the Lord. Each of us can hear from God. 
Each of us can go and research God's word and research the Bible study tools that we have to hear from the Lord. And as we grow in doing that, you're setting yourself off in a better direction than having to ask for help every single time a situation happens. As you know God and know God's word and know how to study it, you can grow in maturity in how to do things. And there's a danger when we think we can only hear from God when we speak to a specific person, right? Sometimes we think, Pastor Raz is the only one. Pastor Zach, Pastor Adrian, I don't know about you guys, but hey, Pastor Raz, he's the only one that can deal with this. He's the only one. He's the oracle of God, right? But it's important, and I hope whether it's the person next to you, whether it's the teacher in kids' ministry that's 13 years old, or whether it's myself or Pastor S, I hope that you get the same counsel from God. Because it's the same Word of God. It's the same Holy Spirit. Oftentimes what we do, I know none of you guys here, only myself, right? Just like a little kid. I don't know if you guys remember being a little kid, right? But you'd ask your mom, hey, can I go to so-and-so's house? You go, no way. Uh, okay. Stay right here, mom. You stay here, do what you're doing, right? And then you go, hey, dad. Can I go to so-and-so's house, right? And oftentimes when we're asking several different people's opinions on what they think we should do according to God's word, we know what we want to do. And we're just simply looking for someone to agree with what we want, right? And I've asked the 100 Christians, and finally, one out of 99, they gave me the answer I wanted. So this is from the Lord, right? Forget the other 99. They said, this is a terrible idea, right? You found the person that just started coming to church. They just started reading their Bible, right? They have a Precious Moments Bible. Nothing against you if you have a Precious Moments Bible, right? And they're telling you, hey, this is what you should do, right? Oftentimes, that's the way we are. But we should hear from God, and we should be able to hear from anyone that is mature and growing with the Lord. And we'll see that in a bit. Verse 16, again, he tells them, any difficulty I judge, and I make known to them the statutes of God and and his laws. And I love Moses' father-in-law, black and white, right? The thing that you do is not good. What you're doing, it's terrible. And it's very interesting for Moses, and there's wisdom for us here. We realize Moses did not suffer from the fear of man. He didn't suffer for the fear of man. If you remember in Exodus 16, verse 3, the children of Israel, they're all complaining and crying. You've brought us out here to kill us. Exodus 17, verse 3, same sort of idea. There's no water. Why did you bring us out here to kill us? And Moses, he goes and he inquires from the Lord. So it's important for us to not change our whole lifestyle when every single person gives us advice, right? I don't know if you've been there, you're at Home Depot and you're staring at what you got to buy and there's always that one guy, right, that stands next to you. Hey, what are you doing? What are you working on, right? They want to give you all the advice on what to do. Even though they've never been to your house, they don't know the measurements, the project, or anything that's going on, right? Or what your wife asked you to do. They don't know any of that. But they want to tell you exactly what to do. See, Moses was wise enough to not take the complaints of the people of God to his heart and to change what he was doing because they complained but yet he was humble enough to hear from Jethro's counsel and that's the wisdom we need in the Lord that every time someone complains to us about something we're doing we shouldn't be as God's word says tossed to and fro every time someone tells you hey you shouldn't do this shouldn't do that shouldn't do this shouldn't you should hear from the Lord and hear from the men and women that you're accountable to that give you wise counsel I, was, I forget which pastor, but many of them, I believe, have told me, do not take the criticism to the heart from someone that you would not seek counsel from, right? 
Don't take the criticism to heart from someone that you would not seek counsel from. If you would never in a million years go to that person for biblical counsel, you can take the criticism with a grain of salt. We should be like David. Take that criticism. Take it to the Lord. Lord, reveal. Lord, reveal if there's any sin in me. Lord, reveal to me if I'm doing anything wrong, if there's any wicked way. But there should be wise men and women that we're going to seek counsel from. And we should be willing to receive that counsel even when we don't like it. Even when it gets on our nerves a little bit. Verse 18, he tells them, For both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out, for this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Again, all day long, hearing the complaints of people, right? That'd be exhausting all day long, from sunrise to sunset, just people complaining. So-and-so did this to me, and -and so-and-so did that, and what should we do, right? The manna, I tried to roll out the manna, but then he didn't want it, and then I made it this, right? All these different complaints, it'd be exhausting. And he says specifically, it's going to wear you out and wear the people out. Guys, it's important for us, as God's word says, to not become a leaky faucet, right? To become naggy or complaining. They're hearing the same voice, nagging about the same thing over and over and over and over again, right? I think we've all been there with a spouse or maybe with our kids. We've been giving them wise nuggets of counsel over and over and over again. It seems like they don't want to hear it. Then some random friend, some random YouTube video, some random youth leader, right, says the same exact thing, and his God spoke to me today, right? And it's just a different voice. It's important for us, and that's why it's so wise to be a part of the Bible studies throughout the week that we're able to put our families in a position to hear the Word of God from different voices. Because sometimes our voice is going to become, right, like Charlie Brown, wah, 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 right? It's important to be able to hear God's word from different people. And for some reason, some scholars think that this was bad advice from Jethro. I think uh, these are people that struggle with micromanaging. But some people, they think that this was bad advice, bad counsel. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, you could write it down. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 9 through 14, Moses talks about what's happening here. And he speaks of it in a good light and in a good way. He doesn't say that was a bad idea or a terrible idea. He says, hey, this was a great idea. So verse 19 Jethro tells him, hey, listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work which they must do. Let's turn to Acts chapter 6. And in Acts chapter 6, again, we see that this was not bad counsel because this is the very same wisdom that was given to the church as they were growing, as they had more people to deal with and more needs of more people to deal with. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, we get the same idea here. It says, Now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. Because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, 
full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorius, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. So again, the same mindset here. Jethro is saying, hey, you need to be standing before God, praying and interceding for the people, and you need to know the Lord and the Word so that you can share God's Word with the people. This is the most important thing for you in leadership. Joe Foshi says this often. He says, the needful things are rarely the things that are pressing, and the pressing things are rarely the things that are needful, Right? The things that we super need to do, we can continue to put on a back burner and a back burner and a back burner and a back burner. But then there's pressing things right in front of us and it's rarely like this is super needful. This is super important. It's just a decision needs to be made because there's a deadline. Something needs to happen because there's a need. The most important thing for a godly leader to do is stand before the Lord, be in prayer and the ministry of the word. And sometimes, even as myself, I can lose track of that important thing. I can lose track of that and get busy with all the different things going on. And that's why it's so important to be able to delegate these things. And in verse 20, teach the people, like we're doing right now. Teach the people the statutes and the laws so that now they can make those decisions for themselves. They don't have to ask, hey, what should I do if this happens? No, the Bible's super clear. This person, I feel like they sinned against me. I should go to them and talk to them about it. This person did this. This is what I should do. I fell into sin. This is what I should do. God's word is clear. And as people learn the word of God, they will need less and less counsel. Be careful if you are seeking counsel and not sitting under the word of God. And we see that often in church. Someone calls and they say, hey, I need counseling. I need counseling. Uh, Do you attend Calvary Chapel, Miami? I did one time like 10 years ago, right? But I need counseling. And we tell everyone the same thing. Hey, come sit down in service. And then after service, come up, pray with some of the pastors. And you'll be blown away. A lot of people, they don't want to do that. I just want the answer to my situation. I don't want to listen to the teaching is basically what they're saying. But they don't say that. But that's basically what they're saying. They say, I don't want to come. I don't want to sit in church. Just give me the answer to my situation. And that's why it's so wise what you are doing here. As you're listening to the word of God, you're preparing yourself and giving yourself wisdom from God to be able to rightly divide his word and to be able to apply that in the real life situations that we will go to. Back in Exodus 18 verse 21 Now there's criteria, right? It's important that when we delegate, there's that saying, right, delegate or die. You got to start learning how to delegate. But you have to delegate to the right types of people. You just grab any random guy in the street and say, hey, teach the kids. That's not what we do here at Calvary Chapel, Miami, right? That'd be a terrible thing. Verse 21, moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, first thing, right, that they fear God. Men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of ten. Again, if you remember in Acts 6 verse 3, one of the qualifications for the men to just be waiters 
was that they were men of good reputation and full of the Holy Spirit. So again, what sort of people should you pick? First, it's the people from among you. As we grow in church and we look for service in church, it's, today's a crazy day and age to be alive, especially for churches. The servants in the church should be people that attend the church. People that love the church. This is a foreign concept for some churches, but we shouldn't be hiring out. Shouldn't have to hire a worship team. Shouldn't hire people for kids' ministry. Shouldn't have to hire people to teach the different Bible studies. It should be people from within because then there's true discipleship happening. There's true growth happening. There's a true baton being passed and saying, okay, now you're responsible for this. But the first thing that they need to do is be men of ability. David Guzik, he breaks this down simply for us. The first thing, right, able men, they have to be men of ability. They have to have the ability to talk with people. There's some people, I'm sure some of us sitting here, right, that some stranger comes and talks to you and you just like sort of melt, right? You just pass out. You don't like talking with people. You're very timid. You're very introverted, right? And you don't have that gifting. God's called you to do other things that are equally as important, right? That's why there's so many different types of ministry here for people that are okay talking with people, people that are okay teaching kids, people okay cleaning and cooking and doing different things like that. The next thing, it's men of godliness. And that's really the most important thing. Okay, can they talk? Yes? Okay. Next thing, they need to be men of godliness. We need to be so careful if we're looking for counsel from someone that does not fear the Lord. Because then it's going to be bad counsel. It's not going to be wise counsel because we know wisdom starts where? With the fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, right? So if that person has no fear of God, guess what they have? No wisdom. It's going to be no wisdom there. So the very first thing in being able to delegate to people, it has to be a man or a woman that fears God. Again, we need to be careful in our lives. Who are the people that we're looking for counsel? Who are the people that are speaking into our lives and applying things? Now, don't tell me he's Kazak. I'm not going to listen to my doctor anymore because he doesn't fear the Lord. No, no, no. He went to school for that, right? My tax guy, I'm not going to listen to him anymore. He's not Christian. No, it's great if you find a Christian doctor or a Christian tax guy. But hey, men of godliness. Now the next thing, it's men of truth. That's men of God's word. People that study God's word. Again, like we joked around earlier, not someone that still has their precious moments Bible and they're saying, okay, let's look at this picture. Okay, this is what we should apply, right? This is how we should do it. I have my pop-up Bible and this is what we should do, right? No, someone that studied God's word, that knows God's word. And finally, it's men or women of honor. Someone who hates covetousness. Someone that can't be bought. Someone that's not going to be dissuaded from giving you the truth because they want something from you in the future, right? How terrible would it be a husband and wife are coming for biblical counseling and... The pastor, they're given to covetousness, so the guy talks about the boats that he has or the hunting lodge that he has, and now he doesn't want to tell him anything too harsh because he's hoping, hey, hopefully I can go fishing with him, right? Hopefully I can go hunting with him. So now, because of that covetousness, he doesn't give him the full word of God. It needs to be so important, right? Wouldn't our politics look better if this was the criteria for anyone to enter into the political realm, right? Hey, do you fear the Lord? Are you a godly person? Do you fear God's word? Are you a person of honor? Or are you just doing this for your own pocket and for your own wallet, right? So important. 
F.B. Meyer, he says, this means that Moses had to fulfill an essential function of a leader to develop and implement new leaders. There's no greater art in the world than to develop the latent capacities of those around us by yoking them to useful service. Again, this is discipleship. This is apprenticeship that as we go in life, we should be teaching other people what we're doing so that if the Lord calls us to go somewhere else, there's someone to fill in that gap. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, Paul gives Timothy the same wisdom. Commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So delegation is important, but it has to be a, to a faithful person. If you're looking to step down from your job, right? Maybe you've worked and you've put a ton of time and effort and you've developed your own business. Be careful who you just delegate the company to. Because if they're fly by night, they may not be a man of character. And now they're looking to take from you. They're a man or woman of covetousness. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And here we see really what's the just two most important things in being able to delegate and being able to grow in leadership at church. Just so practical. God's word so awesome. It tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1 through 7, it says, This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil." Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. In verse 1 through 7, of all the different qualifications and all the different characteristics, the only one that we see as practical things that they're going to do in church later on, there's just one thing there, able to teach. All of the other qualifications have to do with the person's character, and the person's family life. And so often there's people that want to grow in church because they just want to teach. But their character and their family life, it's not right. And that's what should drive us to want to become leaders. Is that if we're able to manage our house well and our kids are in order and our wife is in order, then we should now grow on in trying to help other people have their Homes in order and their marriages in order, right? Again, politics. So many problems would be saved if they wouldn't be allowed to be politicians if their home was not in order and if they didn't have good characteristics, right? That's why for us, we should just worry about our character and our home life. What is it going to do me if I'm a great pastor but I'm a terrible husband or I'm a terrible father? Would you guys really want to come and keep Going to a church, yeah, that guy, he cheated on his wife a couple times. He beats his children, but man, he's a great Bible teacher, right? It totally, it takes all the power out of it. 
That's why for us in our lives, we should be concerned with our home lives and concerned with our character. And then the God, he's going to take care of everything else, right? Verse 7, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Right? First we take it to home. Right? Husbands here. Wives. If we interviewed your spouse, what would they say about you, right? How does so-and-so act in the home, right? Or you ask a little kid, there's like no filter there, right? How are mom and dad in the house? And they'll tell you everything that's going on in the house, right? We never pray for our food. What's the Bible, right? We never do this. The kids will tell you exactly how it is. And finally, that they would even have a good testimony among those who are outside. What's our interaction like with the people in the world? What's our interaction like on social media, right? Would someone come here one day and you're sharing a testimony and... That's the guy that stole $100,000 from me, right? Hopefully not. Hey, that's the person that cussed me out on Facebook. And now they're on the church, Calvary Chapel, Miami, Facebook. What in the world is going on, right? We should have a good testimony with those outside the church, within our own home, and our own character. That's what will grow us and lead us and put us in a place where we can grow in church leadership. It's as if the Lord just says, hey, worry about your character and I'll help you to be able to teach. That's what the Lord says, right? Verse 22, back in Exodus 18, it says, and let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, And again, the wisdom here of Jethro, and God so commands you. Then you will be able to endure, and all these people will also go to their place in peace. Again, family, all advice that we receive should be double-checked with the Lord and with the Scripture. It's just wisdom in that. Lord, okay, I'm getting this advice. I'm getting this counsel. Is it unbiblical? And Lord, as I pray, is there a peace in my heart? Not is it easy, not is it fun, but Lord, is there a peace in my heart? And what's going to really show if we're going to be a good leader or not, it's endurance in the ministry. It's endurance in what we're doing. And endurance is what's rare in ministry and rare in life. Many people, they can do well for a short burst of time. Hey, I was a great spouse for that one month, right? I was a great parent for those two months after the parenting seminar. I was, man, I was a great believer after this one retreat. But how many people do we know that have been doing it well consistently for years and years and years and years? That's why in church, in leadership, and even within our jobs, right? Maybe you say, I don't want to be a leader at church. I'm not called to leadership. That's fine. But are we giving so much of our life away to our jobs that our family doesn't even know who we are? Right? If you leave your job five years from now, ten years from now, they're not even going to know your name in most instances, right? But your family, your kids, you're gone a week and they know. You're gone five years, they know. You're gone ten years and they will know and it's going to affect their lives and multiply across their lives and the way they raise their children and the way their children raise their children. That's why it's such a lie for us sometimes to be so consumed with the outer realm, right? Consumed with politics and the world and China, Venezuela, all this stuff. And our homes are in disarray. 
We're losing what's important. We need to be focused on our small sphere of influence, do that well, run that well, pour our lives out for the people around us because those are the people that God put around us. Now, if you become the ambassador to China, you become the ambassador to Venezuela, hey, go for it and do that well. But so often we want to be consumed with things on the outer realm because we don't want to deal with the things that are going on in our life right now, right? Have you noticed a lot of us, we're like super awesome at giving health advice to other people, right? Someone asks how to be healthy, hey, you got to do this, 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 right? Uh, when was the last time you applied those things? Oh, no, no, don't worry about me, right? Don't worry about me. Just, just listen to my advice and counsel. I saw this on YouTube one time. This is what you should do, right? But we need to apply these things to our own homes and to our own families, right? Verse 24 through 25, so Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law, and he did all that he said. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel, right? He didn't go to Egypt. He didn't go to strangers. He didn't go to the Midianites. He just went to the people from Egypt. And he made them heads over the people, some rulers of thousands, others rulers of hundreds. Some rulers of fifties and others rulers of tens. And again, there is so much wisdom here that Moses is able to pass the baton on and share the responsibility of the people with other able and godly men who love God's word. And just practically, imagine having to wait in line in the desert with two million people for just one person, right? Don't you just love getting to the bank or at Publix and there's just one checkout line open, right? It's the worst. But now there's 10 checkout lines. You're like, oh, this is awesome, right? This is great. Chick-fil-A, right? You get there, phew, you just fly through the lines, right? Just in a practical way, having the ability to speak to, okay, this guy's for five, this guy's for 10, this guy's for 50, 100, 1,000, it's going to make those lines easier. The people, they're going to be less irritated, and the people are going to get their answers sooner to apply it to their own lives. In Luke chapter 16, verse 10 through 11, Jesus says, he who is faithful in what is least is also faithful in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in what is much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Family, we need to be willing to be faithful with the little things. God gives you one person. God gives you five people. God gives you a hundred people. God gives you $5, God gives you $100, we should care for it, invest it, provide for it, pray for it, protect it in the same way. Because if we're not willing to do it with the one friend or the one person at the Bible study or the one kid in kids ministry or just our wife, we're not going to do it later on. We need to be willing to be faithful in the little things and then later on he says, then you will be given the much. Verse 26 through 27, so they judged the people at all times, the hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way to his own land. Again, there's much wisdom in this. After this, we continue to see Moses spend more and more time with God. And as Moses spends more and more time with God, he gets the Ten Commandments, he gets the laws for the nation of Israel, how they're going to look different than the rest of the world. He's going to spend time with the Lord all the time. And this was the needful thing here for Moses. So again, for us to do that one thing that's needful, right? 
Think of Martha and Mary, all the things going around the house. Oh, there's people in the house got to clean it, got to do this. They do that one thing that's needful. Spend that time with the Lord. Spend that time in the presence of God. Dio Moody, he says, it is better to set a hundred men to work than to do the work of a hundred men. Right? Sometimes we just think about the money, but we have to be consumed with the time. The time, we're never going to get back. Never, ever going to get that time back with our kids, our families, our friends. You're not going to get that time back. There's a time to work and to labor and be faithful with that work. But there's also time where you need to invest in the people around you. So again, for us, how can we live a good life? How can we have a right marriage, a right friendship, a right family? It all goes back to knowing the word of God. Do you know the statutes of God? Do you know the law of God? Because if you don't know that, you're not going to have wisdom. You're not going to be able to run your life at the optimum level that God wants you to run it.